This is Unfiltered, episode 63 for August 14th, 2013. And, and marijuana, the U.S. government still classifies marijuana in the same category as LSD and heroin. And those are defined as drugs with, quote, no currently accepted medical use and a high potential for abuse. Do you think that's just not true? That, that is not true. I mean, They're not a high potential for abuse and, and legitimate medical reasons. The United States government, through its Department of Health and Human Services, holds a patent on marijuana as a protectant for the brain. Uh, it's something to protect the brain after head injuries. How, how is that possible that the they, U.S. government holds a patent? The U.S. government holds a patent on one hand, and on the other hand, same government says it has no medical applications. So it, it's, I mean, you know, I, I, totally I've said to this, I, I think I've said this to you before, but journalists, I think, are trained to hate hypocrisy. This is hypocrisy. It, it, it just, I, I've never seen it quite like this. up on this week's episode of Unfiltered. The war on drugs has never looked more antiquated after receiving a major blow in public opinion and by the Justice Department. And while the nation moves forward on the issue, ground zero of cannabis legalization takes a step backward. We'll reflect on what might be a legitimate turn for the better in one of the larger embarrassments for the United States. But first, an interview with Lothabit's founder brings into focus the depth and reach of the Obama administration's attempt to cover up their warrantless surveillance programs. Plus our follow-up, your feedback, and much, much more on this week's episode of Unfiltered. Welcome to Unfiltered, episode 63 of Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly show that's distracting you from all of that TV you shouldn't be watching. My name is Chris, and joining me every single week is the always excellent Mr. Chase. Hey, Unfiltered audience, how are you guys doing? I hope you're having a wonderful and stellar week. I know I am, you know, looking out over the beautiful sun... No... Well, yeah. where'd the sun go? It's just hot today. There's no sun. It's just well, hot. Where's the sun? I don't know. It's, it's just supposed hot. to be the summer. It's just, just warm, Chase. There's no sunshine, but that's okay. That's fine. Smoke them if you got them. Drink them if you, you want to. You know, a lot of people. It's going to be fun. A lot of people think that I have long hair, that I'm a hippie. Uh, the chat room, and, and by the way, uh, I don't. I don't think anybody. Thinks we're we're going to go over this later on, and you know, in the, during the supporter segment. But a, a lot of people, are, I think, are going to miss out this week because we had a great. Supporter show this morning or this yeah. morning. It kind of feels <laughs> like it. Yeah. yesterday, dude. One of these days we should do and filter in the morning. In the morning. In the morning. Yeah, I, uh, I really, I was going to mention it later on in the show. I thought it was a great supporter show too. Yeah, and uh, so, so the the chat room got to see a glimpse of me on video. Oh, and a lot of them, <laughs> a lot of them have never seen me before. Right. Yeah, they're like, what? and what? They're, wait, they're like, wait, you have short hair. You're a young guy. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they thought maybe because you're kind of a curmudgeon sometimes. Well, you know, maybe you know I'm I'm past my prime. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Grinds my gears. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chase, uh, uh, I I know that uh, of late the show has been a little heavy in topic, so I thought. Let's take a look at something that's actually going in the right direction in the United States of America this week. How far did you have to dig for that one? Well, thankfully, uh, <laughs> Obama's on vacation. Congress is on vacation. Where's so... he vacationing uh, this uh, this time around? Uh, only on the golf course, Jason. Oh. Only. 
Yeah. Oh, he's, so he's, the, he's in the links. I thought we, you know, now we are on the way to um, making this aspect of the American culture better, but we have hit some road bumps actually right here in the Pacific Northwest in our backyard. So we're going to talk about that. Well, today. isn't that nice? Yeah. Um, but uh, first, I first. just I just wanted to check with you. Um, Chase, are you okay? Because we did just get done with that horrible worldwide terror alert. Terror alert. Story here. Former news anchor Ted Koppel says that the Obama administration overreacted to the global terror threat. Here he is talking about this on Meet the Press. Watch. Take a look at what's been happening over the past week with a conference call. Uh, Al-Qaeda has effectively shut down 20 U.S. embassies around North Africa and the Middle East. There will continue to be a specific threat and there will continue to be terrorism as there has been for as long as human history exists. Terrorism is simply the weapon by which the weak engage the strong. And what they do is they cause the strong, in this case us, to overreact. So I think, uh, yeah, it's pretty clear at this point uh, that terror alert... Was just a little bit of uh, overreaction, just didn't, a little over. Didn't, didn't we call that here on the show? I think we did, Chase. I think and, we did. And didn't you know some actually some smart politicians and public officials go, "Hey, can you give us some actual substantial evidence right. of but, what?" Ha- well, we can't do that because if we gave that right. to you, we would be aiding. To I them. would. I would encourage the listener if you haven't heard uh, last week's episode, we called out some names of some of the folks who were out in front of the media saying, "This is real bad. This is like like King and and Rogers. They were out there, you know, really shaking the rattle, saying, "This is really bad, you guys. Everybody be freaked out." And well, here we are, one week later, and. Nothing happened. Yeah, well, we, well, we called it. I mean, I called it yeah. saying that this was this was their convenient dis- distraction. We not to try even to- even the early reports of those drone strikes. Yeah. Remember those? Yeah, I remember. Yeah, reports are they weren't very effective. Oh, really? Yeah, they got some middle. They got some you know low level people. And there was there was like a plot against like some oil pipelines, uh, but the Yemenis officials. This this is turning into related. an old fairy tale, an old folk tale, you know, the boy who cried wolf. Because what's yeah. going on here is the government's like, terror, terror, terror. Right. And, and what happens right. is people are going to get so desensitized that the only way that the government is going to get anywhere is, is to ramp it up more. Is by ramping it up more and actually taking more securities away from us. To me, I think it was more about having a, a conveniently available narrative about how good the NSA is to hold us over while everybody's on vacation. Right. I think it was like, hey, we need to show an example of how this NSA snooping is super great. Let's uh, let's right. have a terror alert. Yeah, yeah. Because remember, it was Panic. A, yeah, it was intercepted. Yeah. Uh, and on Friday uh, of last week, uh, the Guardian ran another bombshell. Uh, this is from documents provided by Edward Snowden that revealed that procedures approved on October 3rd, 2011, allow for the use of certain United States persons, names, and identifiers as query terms when reviewing collected FAA 702 data. 702 data is a particular uh, provision that allows the NSA to do some uh, snooping and collection of metadata. And uh, I thought, before we got into some of the drug war stuff today, and uh, there was a, a weed documentary that ran on CNN, I want to just kind of uh, cover some of the NSA stuff. Sure. So let's start with uh, the uh, this uh, new leak that came out. The Guardian newspapers reveal the National Security Agency has a secret backdoor into its vast databases to search for email and phone calls of U.S. citizens without a warrant. According to documents leaked by Edward Snowden, NSA operatives can hunt for individual Americans' communications using their name or other identifying information. The Guardian published the article on Friday, just hours before President Obama held a news conference about the NSA. So the Obama has this news conference on Friday about uh, the reforms he's going to bring to the NSA. Yes, how nice. 
<laughs> and and you know they timed this just right. Uh, the Guardian, the Guardian has been. I think it's Greenwald specifically who times these things to nail them just right. But Obama was not afraid from this. Obama stood up there and said, uh, "Well, here's some steps I'm going to take for reform." And Chase, I, I say we just play this sucker. Uh, one of the things you got to remember about President Obama, uh, he is a fan, as we were talking about in the pre-show. Of the pregnant pause. (laughs) (laughs) You're good. That was good resistance you had. Yeah, you were good. Hello. I don't think I would have been able to last that long. All right. So uh, here is is Barry outlining the steps to reform. Uh, For instance, we can take steps to put in place greater oversight, greater transparency, Mm -hmm. and constraints on the use of this authority. Mm -hmm. So I look forward to working with Congress to meet those objectives. Now, one of the things that we've talked about a little bit on the show, uh, we played a supporters clip about it, but one of the things that really bothers me about the current NSA setup and the thing you can't really argue me out of the position of is right now it doesn't prevent an NSA analyst from what, – what prevents them from searching on a U.S. citizen is a policy thing. It is not a technology thing. Right. So if you know you wanted to search on – if you were an NSA analyst yeah. and you wanted to search on Chris Fisher, the only thing that prevents you from doing so – is your boss telling you you're not allowed you're to do that. You're not supposed to do that, Chris. Right. That's against our rules. Right. And all Don't it takes is for those rules to be changed, right? right? And exactly. that could that could happen yep. two presidencies from now. That could happen yep. in five, in 6 years. I mean, who knows, right? So th- maybe that's what he's talking about there, but it's very vague. Second, I'll work with Congress to improve the public's confidence in the oversight conducted by the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, known as the FISC. Now, the FISC was created by Congress to provide a judicial review of certain intelligence activities so that a federal judge must find that our actions are consistent with the Constitution. However, to build greater confidence, I think we should consider some additional changes to the FISC. One of the concerns that people raise is that a judge reviewing a request from the government to conduct programmatic surveillance only hears one side of the story. This has been a major complaint of ours. Yeah. There's no representative of the people being spied upon. It's just the government goes to the FISA court and says, hey, this is the person we want to spy on. There's and no advocate. we're going to rubber stamp it. Done. Right. May tilt it too far in favor of security, may not pay enough attention to liberty. And while I've got confidence in the court, uh-huh. and I think they've done a fine job, I think we can provide greater assurances that the court is looking at these issues from both perspectives, security and privacy. So specifically, we can take steps to make sure civil liberties concerns have an independent voice in appropriate cases by ensuring that the government's position is challenged by an adversary. Number three. So what he's saying there is there the government is going to appoint an advocate for the people. Oh, wow. I thought that was the government's job to be an advocate for us anyway. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm confused. We can and must be more transparent. So I've directed the intelligence community to make public as much information about these programs as possible. Uh Redacted. Yeah. We've already declassified unprecedented information about the NSA. Uh But we can go further. So in my direction, the Department of Justice will make public the legal rationale for the government's collection activities under Section 215 of the Patriot Act. The NSA is taking steps to put in place a full-time civil liberties and privacy officer. Oh, nice. And released information that details its mission, authorities, and oversight. And finally, the intelligence community is creating a website that will serve as a hub for further transparency. We wa- and this we're will watching give America and the world <laughs> the ability to learn more about what our intelligence community does and what it doesn't do, uh, how it carries out its mission, and why it does so. 
Yeah, obviously I'm pretty skeptical on what that website's going to actually contain. We're watching you.org. Sounds like a bunch of justifications, right? Well, actually, be careful because if you go to that website, what will happen is malware will become installed onto your computer. <laughs> right, monitoring software. And then, then they'll no. then they'll know what you do on the Tor network. Yeah. Uh, so obviously, I mean, you know, Obama threw this whole conference and there was a there's some Q&A. We'll play a little clip of that later. Uh, there was this there was this whole like, um, you know, this whole like like overall tone and impression he was giving like, uh, you know, we were going to do all this anyways. But let's be clear. Yeah. L- let me be clear. As Hillary Clinton says, this is only happening because of the Snowden leaks. Right. Absolutely, right? Yeah. Like 100%. We we would never know if if Snowden never said anything. Well, and like several episodes ago, our opening clip was the the, uh, senator was asking uh, one of the intelligence committee people, did you think you could keep this a secret forever? Well, we tried, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, there was a fourth thing that Obama said he was going to do. Welcome back to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. Now it's time hey, for the Jake. National Lead on Friday in a rare news you got some conference. Beer on President tap? <laughs> Obama promised us all more transparency about NSA spying programs after Edward Snowden forced his hand by exposing their existence. This was one of the four steps the president promised to take. We're forming a high-level group of outside experts to review our entire intelligence and communications technologies. So I'm tasking this independent group to step back and review our capabilities, Get back. particularly our surveillance technologies. Great idea, to quote the president. So an independent panel okay. that's going to review okay. these surveillance technologies. Nice. Outside experts, an independent group. So who is he going to go get to create it? Well, in a memo this week, the president revealed that his idea for this independent group of outside experts is one that will be established by none other than James Clapper, the president's director of national intelligence. This independent group will brief their findings through Clapper, and they will provide a final report and make recommendations through Clapper. So just to be clear, the man who already oversees all of our spy agencies, including the NSA, is now in charge of a panel uh, and creating a panel to decide whether those agencies are using their technology appropriately. Now, as you may recall, earlier this year, Clapper testified to Congress about the NSA, and that briefing, well, that did not go so well truth-wise. Does the NSA collect any type of data at all on millions or hundreds of millions of Americans? No, sir. It does not. And you can hear Wyden's voice like, are you shitting me right now? I know about you. I know what you're doing. Like, you can hear Wyden being like, it, it does not. Are, are you sure about that? Not wittingly. Ah, uh. Not true. But it wasn't until after Edward Snowden's leaks made it clear that Clapper's answer was not true, that Clapper offered this explanation as to why he gave false well, testimony to Congress. Well, yeah. My second favorite clip. I responded in what I thought was the most truthful or least untruthful manner by saying no. The least untruthful manner. See how well that works for you next time you take an oath to tell the truth. Or maybe take a page from our friend, Mr. Costanza. Jerry, just remember, it's not a lie if you believe it. Now, when asked how the president can justify having an independent review by outside experts be essentially run by the guy running the spy programs, a senior administration official explained to me that the independent group has to be established somewhere in the government so they can have appropriate clearances and access. The official says Clapper would not get in the middle of their work. Of course not. At least 
not wittingly. Oh, uh, did Tapper just do an excellent job on that piece or what? I oh, thought that yeah. was some of his best stuff, and I've been hard on him lately. Uh, this just in in the Jupiter Broadcasting room, Jake Tapper is no longer an employee of... You, no, yeah, I'm, okay. I'm kidding. <laughs> so, although, well, I mean, look what happened with Napolitano. Yeah, that's uh, true. So, that's um, true. Now, the White House has come out, and they've insisted that Clapper will not lead the NSA surveillance review, but it's actually kind of a semantics game. So the panel will not report to the DNI. That's the Director of National Intelligence. That's James Clapper. As the DNI statement yesterday made clear, the review group... Will will brief its interim findings, its interim findings to the president within sixty days of its establishment, and provide a final report with recommendations later, no later than December fifteenth, two thousand and thirteen. So let's go over here. Let's find December fifteenth. Let's see. So December fifteenth. Oh, it's going to be a Friday, so we won't be able to cover it until the next week. But oh man, that's going to be a big episode. So. Here was here is the sticky part, and by the way, uh, also the evidence, in my opinion, that the United States government is run by the intelligence agency. The president, the reason why the reason why they have to report to Clapper, and the reason why they have to be approved by Clapper and directed by Clapper is Clapper is the only one that has the clearance and that knows where people need to go. They can't do it from the executive level. Oh, they can't direct it from the executive level. They don't have any access to it. Right. It's because the intelligence agencies run the damn country. Yep. Yeah, that's right. And so that's kind of what that's kind of what Tapper says at the end, but he doesn't come out and just fully say it. Now, uh, I now let's I want to refactor our discussion on the NSA surveillance and let's talk a little bit about the practical outcome and fallout from the revelations that the that cloud computing in the hosted in the United States is no is not safe from the US government. Well, I think the clearest example, the number one voted story in the unfiltered subreddit this Huge. week. Huge. Uh, the Lava Bit shut down. Lava Bit, yeah. A secure email provider. And uh, Democracy Now! had a great interview with the LavaBit owner, and uh, he said to Amy Goodman that, you know, I had two choices, and I chose the lesser of two evils. What are you facing when you say the lesser of two evils? What was the other choice? Uh, Unfortunately, I can't talk about that. Um, I would like to, believe me. Um, I, I think if the American public knew um, what our government was doing, um, they wouldn't be allowed to do it anymore, um, which is why I'm here in D.C. today um, speaking to you. Um, my, my hope is that, you know, the media can, can uncover what's going on um, without my assistance and, you know, sort of pressure both Congress and, you know, our efforts through the court system to, in effect, put a cap on what it is the government is entitled to in terms of our private communications. And he actually says a lot there at the end when he says put a cap on there, as in he wants to create a set of bill of rights for cloud hosting, saying the cloud-hosted customer shall not have their data violated by the U.S. government and such. He wants to put limits on what they can do. Now, this has hit my audience in particular. I bet. Uh, yeah. A lot of my audience use LavaBit. Um, and uh, he uh, in this interview with Amy Goodman, we'll link to the full interview in the show notes. He does say, "Yeah, uh, we had an we had an East Snowden at LavaBit on our system, and uh, I'm pretty sure that was probably him." So he probably they were the likely the uh, the the email host of Edward Snowden, as was rumored. Now, here's what's nuts about this: he is in such a position where his really goofy lawyer is sitting right next to him, making sure he doesn't say anything he's not allowed to say. And the owner of LavaBit knows things about the situation that he is not even allowed to share with his own lawyer. 
Glenn what? Greenwald also wrote, what is particularly creepy about the lava bit self-shutdown is that the company's gagged by law even from discussing the legal challenges it's mounted and the court proceeding it's engaged. In other words, the American owner of the company believes his constitutional rights and those of his customers are being violated by the U.S. government, but he's not allowed to talk about it. Greenwald goes on to write, quote, just as is true for people who receive national security letters under the Patriot Act, LavaBit has been told they would face serious criminal sanctions if they publicly discuss what is being done to their company. So when you think about the ramifications of that, they can go to any company, and we know they have. Uh, some people have been thrown in jail. Yahoo tried to fight this. You can't even say you're trying to fight it. You can't say you're against it. You can't say that your rights are being infringed upon. You can't say anything. It's all part of these national security how, how letters. Can, how, I mean, first off, how can you even defend yourself properly in doing yeah, that? Well, you can't. That, you can't even bring uh, attention to it. So how is that legal? How is that past any sniffing of the legal test? Because there's laws that are passed that in a state of national emergency, and if it's you know for national security, they can get away with it. Lador wow. Levinson, why did you start LavaBet? Uh, well, just to add one thing to Greenwald's comments, I mean, there there's information that I can't even share with my lawyer, um, let alone with the American public. So if we're talking about secrecy, you know, it's really been taken to the extreme. And I think it's really being used by the current administration to cover up tactics that they may be ashamed of. And uh, one of the things that sort of was an eye-opener for me is, you know, you think maybe at first, well, this is uh, this is a guy who was super paranoid and you know was selling a niche privacy product, and you know he got in a little he got in a little fight with Uncle Sam and he decided to take his ball and go home. Uh, it turns out not the case. In fact, uh, he's responded to like tons of subpoenas over the years. Madar, during this time, you've complied uh, with other government subpoenas. Is that correct? Yeah, um, we've probably had at least two dozen subpoenas over the last 10 years um, from local sheriff's offices all the way up to federal courts. And obviously, I can't speak to any particular one, but we've always complied with them. Um, I think it's important to note that, you know, I've always complied with the law. Um, it's just in this particular case, I felt that complying with the law... Um, now listen to this. And, and we do have to be careful at, yeah, at, at this I, point. But yeah. I, I think he can speak philosophically. The lawyer has to speak up because he's not allowed to say certain things. About uh, uh, the, the philosoph uh, his philosophy behind uh, Lavabet and why it, it would lead to his decision to shut down. Yeah, I, That's I, Jesse I Benal, by the way. And Jesse, how difficult is this um, uh, for Ladar Levison, what he can say, what he can't say? How high are the stakes here? Well, the, the stakes are very high. It's a very unfortunate situation that, as Americans, we really are not supposed to have to, to worry about. But Ladar is in a situation where he has to watch every word he says when he's talking to the press for fear of, of being imprisoned. Um, and we can't even talk about what the legal requirements are that uh, make it so he has to watch his words. Isn't that amazing? They can't even say what legal order they're under that doesn't allow them to speak about it. That doesn't... The gag order they're under is right. gagged. I know. It does, the land of the free, freedom of speech, right? Yeah. It's ridiculous. Uh, and uh, one more clip I want to play, because he was dancing around the whole issue. It was like, she, Amy tried to come at it from a couple of different angles and finally got him to kind of say what was up. She essentially was trying to get out of him, 
you know, if you've responded to subpoenas in the past and handed over information, uh, what was it this time? You know, what was it uh, that 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 was different? And and you know, why did you not flee the country? Why did you not get up and say, "Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to leave the country and I'm going to tell everybody what's going on," sort of like Snowden did. I still hope um, that it's possible to run a private service, private cloud data service here in the United States without necessarily being forced um, to, to conduct surveillance on your users by the American government. Can you say, Ladar, if you've received a national security letter? Unfortunately, no. he can't. So what this, what the, what is even like, if you just want to add another layer of what's depressing about this, he goes on the interview to mention that one of the reasons why he's one of the first to do this is because the other companies that have been approached are of a larger size to have been within the federal government's radar. LavaBit, until this point, was too small of a fish. And until they found out that Snowden was on there, they couldn't really give a crap about him. Right. So the problem is, is by the very nature, the companies that are large enough to grab federal attention are also the companies that are too large to just flip the switch and say, you know, I'm going to shut down my email. Right, yeah. Because they have shareholders, they have hundreds it, of employees, it, 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 they like, just legally can't even do it. it. Whereas he's in a position as a small guy, he can shut it down. So he says that's one of the reasons why I'm the first to do it. I mean, substitute, let's say, LavaBit for Yahoo. And let's say Yahoo offered an incredible encrypted email service that was top-notch, millions and millions and millions and millions of users. Right. If, th- if this was even attempted on a company like Yahoo – Oh, this would be national headlines, but this isn't because except for the, well, except for that gag order, because Yahoo did get dragged into court years ago about the Prism stuff, and that never came out, even though they even fought it in court. Wow, yeah, that's true. Now, here, uh, think about this perspective, because right. I had this idea one time, because I'm a sysadmin. Yeah, yeah. I had this idea one time, maybe for Jupiter Broadcasting supporters, people who donate to the network, I'd set up an encrypted email system, and we just you could have your name at JupiterBroadcasting.com. Right. That's all this guy did. He was a sysadmin guy that wanted, after the Patriot Act came out, said, you know, I want to create something that's just encrypted. secure, yeah. And he set it up. And then eight years later- He started a small business. Right. Yeah. Eight years later, Uncle Sam comes knocking on the door and says, we need to do something that completely undermines your entire business model. And you can't talk about it. Right. Now, Secure Circle guys came out and said, hey, by, by the way, when we shut down our mail service, here's how Secure Circle did it. They- turned off the server, physically destroyed it, and then sent out the announcement they were shutting off email. They destroyed the server before they even told anybody because which, what kind of comes out in this interview with the LavaBit owner, but it's not clear, right. is he kind of gave Secure Circle a warning saying, hey, by the way, if you announce you're going to shut down your mail server and you give users time to prepare, that's all the window of opportunity the federal government needs to get a national security written to prevent you from doing it. Right. So if you announce your intention to shut down your encrypted messaging service before you do it, the federal government can get you, prevent you from doing it, or they'll throw you in jail. Right, exactly. So he beat him to the punch, essentially. He, well, uh, well, Secure Circle tried to. Yeah. Uh, Lava Bit, I, he might have had to comply. Wow. We don't know. Yeah. Crazy stuff. Yeah, we don't know because he can't talk about it. And it's one of these things, it, here's a great example of a story that's just not even being discussed on the mainstream, and I mean, Democracy Now! is one of the few outlets that is actually covering this. Uh, but uh, LavaBit was started 10 years ago, 10 years ago, and it grew to 100,000 in revenue annually with about, about 10,000 users paying for the encryption service. 10,000 users. Jeez. This guy was making, this guy, it's, it was enough money, 100,000 when you're running a business is not a lot. No, it's not, no. Uh, so... You know, it's not like this guy was getting rich off this. No, but he was 
He was making a living. <laughs> you know, that's all right. people typically want to do. I mean, right. you'd want to do, I want to do. Right. We want to be able to be secure in what we say and what we do. And, he, you know, someone stepped in. The government stepped in. On we got more for you guys in the show notes if you want to go check Oof. out the links to that. But, Chase, I thought maybe now that we just covered something the mainstream media is, isn't going to even talk about, like it's yeah. not even within the realm of capability, let's take a moment to remind folks this is a listener-supported show. We're on the air because we have supporters. Now, we're trying to get to 333. 333. And I'll be honest, we only picked up three this last week. And I think because some of the major uh, drama is over, folks feel like they don't have to donate. But that's not the case. We want to keep this going every single week. We We're want still to stay to on get. the radar. We want to keep you know following up on these stories because it's beneficial to you. Guys. And honestly, that three 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 a month, three hundred and thirty three monthly subscribers only covers one day of production cost for the show. We're not even making money off the show. It's just as a business person, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking to myself, at least I'm not well, losing know, money on this show. Chris doesn't know that I'm going to say this. What is it, Chase? Uh, and, no, this is not scripted. <laughs> Your response felt scripted. No, it's just how I am. No, no. Um, but you know you're 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 talking to me the other day last week uh, about you know trying to form a, a different show for Jupiter Broadcasting, mm, mm-hmm. and because of the fact that you know you now have another kid, mm-hmm. and you know you are operating this as a business, mm-hmm. and you had sponsors come to you saying, "Hey, I'd like to support you," but you have no you know have no place for them, and mm-hmm. then what happens is as a business owner you have to look at your entire inventory. I have to think if I wasn't doing a show on Wednesdays that I didn't I couldn't do sponsors for, I if, could if I could put something more profitable yeah. in its place, right. I would do it because yeah. I have to support my family. I turned down a sponsor for this show this morning. Wow, I didn't even know that. Yeah. That's honest 100% god truth. Wow. Yeah, in fact, that sponsor just bought out the rest of the network for the year, so I'm very excited. Oh, very nice. Yeah, but this but, show But he wanted this show. I had to take the show. Off. I, I, I had he. to take <laughs> I had to take this show off the table and I'm very I'm very serious about my commitment to making this a listener supported show because you know, there is a whole lot of extra cognitive functionality that has to be devoted to to sponsors and I don't want to have to worry about that with this show. But the other thing is is it is a fundamental messaging to Chase and I that says, you guys want this type of content. You're voting with your wallet. And the thing is, is if you look at what's out there available to you, that is the result of a mass media produced sponsor. And I love my sponsors on my other show. It doesn't work for this type of coverage. And what you get is a product that is not critical. It is a product that is not focused. It is a product that generalizes. It is a product that makes a mass market appeal. We don't want that to happen to the show, and we want to keep it just the way it is. So go over to our show notes and become an Unfiltered Supporter Plus. You also get the Supporter Show. A newsletter comes out after every single episode with a link to download the Supporter Show, which includes the pre and post show. Tons of extra stuff provides more context, especially around the NSA stuff this week. Happens in that supporter show. Plus, you get to get some good background, personal information about what's going on in our personal lives. I mean, you, you get to to learn about us and and see what kind of people that we are. And you know what? Yeah, you know, we don't like. I understand that what we have to do is we have to you know talk to you guys about donations and and join our supporter club. And at the same time, a lot of you guys are like, yeah, I know already. You guys want help. You guys want assistance. But we are doing this to to not have. The big name sponsor because then you have to appease the sponsor and then that in turns biases the coverage which in turns doesn't make the show what you guys want it to be right so i mean we're gonna spend the next we're gonna spend however long talking about weed a lot of sponsors would be very uncomfortable with that yeah what well, some some might be like yeah totally behind you some of yeah. them may not be yeah you know these are just personal opinions you know and we're just giving you guys the unfiltered news as we can and there you go 
Very good, Mr. Chase. So I want to thank, we are now to 155 unfiltered supporters. So I like that. Thank you to that's Kenneth nice. A. I, what do you think, Percival C? You think that's how you say that? Percival, Percival? yeah. yeah, yeah. I, then, I know somebody actually by the name of that. And then also Jonathan came in this week. So uh, guys, check your inbox. You are now unfiltered supporters. So thank you very nice. much. All right, Chase, I have an Ask the Chat Room. Are you it's ready? now time to play Ask the Chat Room. Chris is, is going to ask a question. And if you know the answer, you will get accolades on this edition, episode 63 of Unfiltered Chris. <gasps> What's your question? All right, Mr. Whoa, Chase. What? I got a new chat room quiz theme. Do you recognize it? Wait. Hold on for it. Wait for it. It's Mario. Yeah, you got it, dude. But I, where? What? It, it, it's under. It's it, it's down underneath. Dun, 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 dun. I said I already did. <laughs> Good job, dude. Remember, I'm a gamer. This is going to totally get us pulled off YouTube. Yeah, go uh, So uh, what? Three-letter news agency. Ooh. News organization. News organization. So you got a three-letter acronym. There's a lot of them. Yep. There's a lot of them. Which one? Don't guess quickly. Came out... Full-fledged loving on the cannabis this week. Which chat room? Which, which three-letter three news agency? News agency came in support. Well, what you call support? Um, uh, market cap uh, capitalizing on 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 a trend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Are you ready for me to uh, pull the old uh, chat room lever there, Chase? Is, is there a new sound for the lever? No, I like oh. the old one a lot. Are you kidding? Yeah. All right. Here, go ahead. Right. Pull it. All right, what do we got? As Edwards, uh, as Darth Vader would say, Blue Phoenix three one six says CNN. That would be correct. <laughs> it was uh, CNN this week. Uh, in fact, yeah, I wouldn't even say it was necessarily this week. In fact, you and I picked up on. I think this is only a supporter show. I don't think it made it in the main show. But you remember uh, back in June, CNN was talking about the pot moms. Yes. This is Piers Morgan live. Welcome to our viewers in the United Welcome States and around the world. Tonight, yes, our special look at America's biggest cash crop, marijuana, Whoa. and the growing battle to legalize it. On yes. one side, those who say that taxing it would help the government's fiscal problems. On the other, those who call it a gateway drug that leads to even greater danger. You'll meet danger. the pot moms of Southern California, including a woman known as the Martha Stewart of marijuana. Uh. All right, so that was back in June. So, so let's be clear about this. God, I got to stop saying that. I want to make sure everybody understands that CNN has actually been kind of leaning pro-marijuana for several weeks now. Uh, but this week, uh, Sanjay Gupta, remember Sanjay Gupta? Uh, the number one seller. I mean, uh, CNN's- Number one seller of marijuana. No, I was going to say sellout, number one seller. But I, I corrected myself. CNN's chief medical correspondent, Sanjay Gupta, admits this week that he took part in the systematic misleading of the public about marijuana. Huh? CNN's chief medical correspondent, Dr. Sanjay Gupta, joins me. Now, Sanjay, welcome to you. Thank you. Thanks for having so, me. So, come on, you've been looking at this for a year, and I want to remind you that in nine, uh, 2009, you wrote a Time magazine article entitled Why I Would Vote No on Pot. You've changed your mind. I, I have, and, and, uh, and as part of uh, you know, my thinking reason, I have apologized for some of the earlier reporting because I think you know, we've been terribly and systematically misled in this country for some time, and I, I, was, I did part of that misleading. No, I'm not, Whoa. I, I, that is big, right? But that is, that is very you, unusual you know what, but, to hear. But, but you know what? I'm with you where you're going to go, oh, but I'm still skeptical. Right. I mean, what's the motive here? Are but, you selling a book? Now, I mean, what are you doing? Now, listen, it goes even further. He says... I didn't look. I didn't look deep enough at the evidence, and I mistakenly took the DEA at their word. You know, right. if, if you look at all the papers that are written in the United States about marijuana, the vast majority of them are about the harm. That we fund studies on harm, we don't fund studies on benefit. Near and actually, I think the numbers work out. The, the if you look at the breakdown, uh, we only of all the studies we fund for marijuana research, only six percent of them 
are for the positive effects. Right. So obviously that skews the research, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what's going to happen. Really as much. So it gives a distorted picture. But you know, I didn't look far enough. I didn't look deep enough. I didn't look at labs in other countries that are doing some incredible research. I didn't listen to the chorus of patients who said, not only does marijuana work for me, it's the only thing that works for me. I took the DEA at their word yeah. when they said it's a Schedule One substance and has no medical applications. There was no scientific basis for them to say that. That's just strong. So he's saying the DEA has no scientific basis to, to claim it's a uh, scheduled one narcotic. Now, again, I feel like if you've spent 20 minutes on Reddit, if you've <laughs> Googled the topic even once, it's pretty easy to get a counter dose of information. Oh, yeah. So, you're, so the assumption we must now operate under is that Gupta never did this independent research. He just listened to his masters. However... I was actually completely stunned when he said weed is safer than pharmaceuticals. If it's no more harmful than alcohol or tobacco, why shouldn't it be legalized? Isn't there an inconsistency in government policy? I, I, I think so. And, and let me take it a step further than that. I think it's irresponsible of the medical community not to offer this as an alternative. Two points. First of all, these other medications that we talk about for pain, for example, morphine, dilaudid, Oxycontin, Vicodin, you name it. Every 19 minutes in this country, peers, in the United States, someone dies of an accidental prescription drug overdose. This is no joke. Every 19 minutes. As we investigated this, I couldn't find one documented case of someone dying of a marijuana overdose. And no, they, 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 they've only died of a Funyuns overdose. Oh, heart attack. Uh, but he's, you know, like, um, like there's, uh, there are studies out there where you know, you've, you've like, they've gone, they've gone and they just overdose and overdose. And the first thing that happens before you could even get to a point where you could like get to a toxicity level is you just fall asleep. <laughs> I know it sounds funny, but that's literally what happens. Now, Chris, I'm still skeptical here. What's his, what's his angle? Listen to this. Listen to, I mean, what's his angle? I'm to, not convinced. What it, one of the biggest media advertisers out there is pharmaceuticals. Listen yeah. to what he's about to say. All we right. also know that for some situations like neuropathic pain, which is that lancinating, terrible pain people can get in their limbs or extremities. Sometimes marijuana is the only thing that can actually well, I, work. I know, I've known someone with cancer who used it and it had a huge beneficial effect. So and, and then Pierce just kind of goes on rambles and just talks too much. But you have scooped up. They're saying it's better than pharmaceuticals for some of this stuff, right? Uh, and I'm 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 like, what is going on? Well, here's what's going on: is uh, this is not necessarily new information. This is probably stuff that Gupta's known about for a long time. It's just that maybe advertiser contracts prevented him from saying so. I mean, CNN is completely in the dumps right now as far as ratings go. Some of their shows, Chase. Some of the CNN shows have ratings of like twenty five thousand concurrently which cool. you think which about is it terrible they're getting the yeah you know they're getting into like the the uh, gonna go off the air range wait soon. wait i pull more in minecraft me <laughs> i know than, and then in, i know i i know i uh it is legitimate it wow. is uh so wow. uh here's what's really going on wow. is this last sunday sanjay gupta did a sanjay gupta special on weed what <laughs> so all of this leading oh up to it, all of this was him leading up to this documentary he did and I decided to sit down and pull a few clips so that way if you guys – how long is the whole thing there, Chase? 43 minutes okay. without commercials. So uh, – Without commercials. Yeah, without without commercial interruption. So yeah. I've got an even more condensed version. I, I started watching this and I've watched essentially every cannabis and marijuana documentary that's out there. So I started to immediately out of the gate recognize a stale formula. What would you do if this were your child? Charlotte Figgy had an extreme form of epilepsy. Her body was so frail that any seizure could kill her. 
With no traditional treatment left to try and the clock ticking away, her parents decided to try marijuana. Charlotte was just five years old. So this is not an unusual. I mean, he says it like, "Oh my God, this is unbelievable." This, this is, is dramatic. This is essentially the, the track that every weed. every pro weed documentary out there essentially starts with this story. So I thought, okay, you know, I mean, you know, when you, it seems like to me when you target the kids, you're going for emotional sensationalism. You're not going to do a practical discussion of the matter. However. Later on in the documentary, I was actually pretty impressed. They they showed the example of a guy named Chaz, not Chase, but <laughs> Chaz. And specifically, as I play this clip, I want you to listen to how he talks, and then listen to him take a hit, and then listen to how he talks after the hit. I always have two strings. Meet 19-year-old Chaz Moore. He uses many different strains of marijuana, many of them high in CBD, to treat his rare disorder of the diaphragms. My abs will, like, lock up. That's why he's talking this way, almost speaking in hiccups, like he can't catch his breath. It's called myoclonus diaphragmatic flutter. This fluttering here, it's annoying, but it becomes painful yeah. um, pretty quickly, I imagine. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, after like 15, 20 minutes is where I can like start to really feel. He's about to show me how the marijuana works. He's been convulsing now for seven minutes. How quickly do you expect this to work? Within like the first five minutes. And I'm done. Like that's it. That's it. It was actually less than a minute, depending on the attack and the day. Like it'll work within the first couple hits. Hear how his voice is completely different. That attack lasted eight minutes, but some have lasted much longer and happen as often as forty times a day. And like Charlotte, he had tried so many things before. By 16, Chaz was taking these powerful, addictive, potentially deadly narcotics and muscle relaxants daily, like Valium and morphine. It would be safe to say that that marijuana and what you have in your hand there is better than all those pills for you in terms of treating what's yeah, going on? Yeah, I wouldn't, I'm not zombified. I've had 16, 17 attacks today, and I'm still sitting up talking to you. My first attack on all these, I'd be in the hospital. So, you know, uh, oh, go ahead. I was going to say part of I I think part of the thing here that needs to have investigation here is there is any correlation between the pharmaceutical companies and the federal government to try to keep marijuana illegal. I'm sure, right? Yeah, because I mean, look at all these name brand medications that he was taking. Mm-hmm. And marijuana, it's a plant. You can grow it, it for free. You can grow it for yeah. free. Yeah. Um in fact, in the beginning of the documentary, they do cover a little bit of the that very briefly uh how marijuana was associated with um, racism and then also the the paper industry was also had for their own motivations of trying to crush it. You know, this Chaz, his his story struck me because, um, so back in 2006, of, um, well, summer of 2006, I guess, uh, I've, t- I've talked about this, I think I talked about in episode one of Unfilter, actually. Wow. Um, I was... I was having these massive stomach problems. I was throwing up and pooping blood. It was really bad. And I was throwing up all the time, and it was really, really awful. So I went into the doctor, and they did all these tests, and they prescribed me an antibiotic. Okay. So I took this antibiotic. Well, they thought you had an infection? Yeah, a stomach infection. And I even went on air and said, yeah, I got a stomach infection, and it's awful. And people who've been around for a while might remember when I said that. Right. Well, I didn't have – in fact, then, then a month later, the test results came back, and I didn't have an infection. 
But what that antibiotic did do is it killed off all of the good bacteria oh my in my stomach. God. So it made the, it compounded a very, very, very bad situation. So then I went from not being able to keep food down in the mornings to never being able to keep food down. Oh, that's nice. And uh, so I started researching the situation on my own. I went. To, I kept going to doctor appointments, and they put a tube down my stomach, down my throat. So they could and, look and yeah. you know, take a look, yeah. With a camera and all that. And I had to be knocked out for it, and it was awful. And, I, and then my, my throat and voice were, like, ruined for a couple of days, which when you're, you know, doing when shows kind of sucks. Sign language uh, is great. So, uh, so then I, I looked into doing, this is, this is back, this is now we're getting like in November of 2006. So this starts over the summer of 2006. Now we're getting into November of 2006. I start looking into weed to smoke to, for my stomach problems. And it was a lot like Chaz's experience. And I decided instead of smoking it, I would vaporize it to sort of minimize, um, the negative health aspects of it. But I went from being, you know, glued to the toilet and, you know, throwing up blood to uh, being able to manage it almost immediately, like by the before I even released my first exhale, the pain was beginning can, to go away. Can I play devil's advocate for a minute? Yeah, I mean, I, I have no reason to do this other than to go be ahead. devil's advocate. But is some of this? I mean, like obviously with the with the person that we we just heard, you know, with his uh, his speaking condition, the the uh, fluttering diaphragm, and then he is there any potential here for placebo effect? where you have this perception that this is going to help you and you use it and it helps you. And I mean, cause you can't do a medical study on that per se. It just, you know, or can you, what I do you mean, mean, well, no, I mean, is there, is there actually, is there, is there proof like, you know, hardcore proof as far as, I don't know. I'm, I don't, well, I, I just want to eliminate the, this, the potential for placebo. This next clip talks about the, effect on the brain and what is sort of behind it. Some of my patients call me pot doc. Your patients call you pot doc? Well, they never meet anybody who's as interested in hearing about their marijuana use as I am. Dr. Stacy Gruber is serious about pot. I want you to name the color and not to read it. Okay. I met her in her labs at McLean Hospital near Boston. She's using high-tech imaging to see what happens in the brain when you smoke. When you first smoke, that is, you know, you light up a joint, a spliff, a blunt, receptors, which are throughout the brain, um, respond. And these areas of the brain are responsible for things like pleasure, memory, learning, sensation, uh, sense of time and space, coordination, movement, appetite, and other drives, shall we say. So it's sort of um, an all-over impact, right? So reward, pleasure, hunger... Um, you, you have this, this overall feeling of, of well-being, they say. That all sounds pretty good. <laughs> it does sound pretty good. So, what, the, way it, so what, the way it works is you have these receptors in the brain, and THC has this molecule that happens to fit magically into these receptors. And depending on what's going on, there is some, there is some evidence that there is reason for like these connectors either being uh, when these connections are made, that either producing a result or in the case of uh, Chaz here, they actually think it's more of a neurological effect. So it's not actually like the marijuana is affecting his, his stomach muscles. Or the diaphragm or anything. Right, like that, but it's right. affecting the neurology of the brain such that it's firing differently. Oh. Okay. So um, no, no, I would it, say in my experience, you know, I went from um, like, really kind of in a panic, like not sure, not sure what to do to being able to completely manage because, it. Because an outsider... You know, taking a look at Chaz and saying, well, yeah, I mean, how do we not know he's just not faking it? And, or like, oh, yeah, he's calming down because he just right. wants to smoke pot all day. Well, I mean, you could, I mean, you could have a potential skeptic. It might come across 
it might come across better in video because you see him like convulsing. Okay. I mean, maybe. I yeah, don't. maybe. I don't yeah. know. But I mean, I'm just saying you, you take like the Uber, like I think all drugs are bad. Yeah. I don't want marijuana yeah. legal. Yeah. And, they, and they go, well, yeah, look, there's a pothead right here. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that for me. I'm just saying that there's a perception. Of what? Of that, well, of course, yeah, this guy just wants to smoke pot. Uh, for people who want to take it medically? Right. Yeah. Oh, well, I think that's because there's because otherwise they can't get it. I mean, so what the argument there is, so what you're basically saying is a lot of people claim medical reasons so that way they can sm- smoke it rec- recreationally. Right. For for fun. Right. Yeah, I, I absolutely, I think that's the case. Yeah. Oh, yeah, a ton. Yeah. yeah but, but I mean, hell, even a local news uh, th- news agency did a, a, a story about that. But I think if that was the only way you could get beer... I think that would be <laughs> right. That's true. I mean, if it was the only way you could get whiskey, that would be or cigarettes. Yeah, I mean, it'd be anything that is locked up like that. And that's one thing I always go back to is I think it on honestly, it all comes back to money because tobacco. There's studies. There's plenty of them. Yeah, that is it is so incredibly harmful. It's not even funny. Right. The tars and the cancer and even the secondhand smoke is worse. There's, it's proven. I mean, we spend so much money on treatment of smoking. Yeah. It's not even funny. Oh, it's, yeah. And yet, at the same time, the effects of marijuana use are so much lower in, in regards and comparison, yet it's illegal. Right. And the way I see it, it, it it's, it's, a it's, it's a money issue. Well, okay. So I like to get your skeptics hat on because I want to play. So then the documentary, and I, I've watched a lot of these, and they, a lot of them don't get into... This aspect that I think is sort of a secret weapon of a lot of pot smokers, and I think as a non-smoker, Chase, yeah. I'm really I'd be curious to hear your opinions on when they touch on this. And it's not just feeling good, but there's this phenomenon reported by many smokers over the years, especially famous artists, the ability to be more creative. When you feel that high, there's sort of a release of dopamine, and your brain sort of has the ability now to perceive things slightly differently from the way you might have if you hadn't been smoking pot. What you really see is this reduction in inhibitory function. So what do you think of what they're saying? Do you process that? So they're saying uh, it's a boost to creativity. Do you buy that? Boost to creativity? That doesn't... Doesn't make any sense. It doesn't feel right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So uh, I, I so the part they, they touch on to me that actually rings pretty true. And one of the one of the things that is I have found in my experience is uh, you sort of have this ability to shift out of your normal perspective on a situation and kind of come at it from a different angle, and that in itself lends creativity because right. when you see when you see something and and you've really been marred in it for a very long time, you've lived in this job for a long time, you've been working on this problem for a long time, you've ran this podcast for a long time. And then you have all of a sudden this moment where you step out and maybe you pivot a little bit and you look at it from a completely different angle. It gives you the ability to not only look uh, critically at something, but to also have sort of a whatever your inherent gift is. If you have a good taste, you can sort of look at something and say, oh, I need to tweak this. Or right. if you if you have a if you have a critical eye at something, you can say, oh, I need to you know tweak the color here to make it look better. It's, it sort of gives you this third party perspective without being um Without having sort of the uh, the ego associated with criticizing your own work, right? And I think that's sort of an element that's not really talked about a lot, and it's something that a lot of documentaries don't touch on. And so I was impressed that they brought it up, even if it does kind of sound hokey. Yeah, and it was interesting yeah. that they touched on it. But one of the things that is um, sort of uh, a core at the discussion around, uh, like, um, a big part of what's happening here in Washington State is there's the the uh, the laws that are being built around 
driving under the influence of marijuana. Well, and, and based on like the measurement of the percentage of it in right. your bloodstream. And like if somebody's like a daily medical smoker, should they be allowed to drive? And there's concerns like maybe they'd have so much in their system. And one of the things that's really hard to kind of understand about uh, the cannabis use is depending on your usage level, you have completely different results. And they actually touched on it. Look at this experiment done by CNN affiliate KIRO in Washington State. Subject smoked marijuana and then drove. One was a daily medical marijuana smoker and another an infrequent weekend smoker. Relaxed and buzzed. The more the novice user smoked, the more trouble behind the wheel. Watch yourself, watch yourself. But interestingly, the habitual smoker didn't have as much trouble. I wouldn't pull her off the road, no. No, not yet. And that's something I witnessed firsthand driving around with 19-year-old Chaz Moore. The day that I spent with him, he had been smoking all day long. Do you feel impaired at all? No, I don't. I feel normal. Turns out when you test people who have a lot of experience with cannabis, you don't see many disruptions. But if you test people who have a sort of a limited history with cannabis, you can see some clear, pronounced disruptions. I think what this translates to is when you have a new smoker, they smoke cannabis, they have a completely different experience than, say, somebody who's been smoking since 2006. So, like, for example, if if you smoked as much as I have smoked just during this episode, <laughs> you'd be on the floor laughing. Like, yeah. you would be completely incoherent. But for me, I can sit up, I can operate the soundboard, I can operate the recording equipment, I can have a conversation and with you. And all without any pants on. Right. And while I'm also getting a hand job. Hey. Let's be honest. And it's not even my hand. So this is something that's very hard because when you enter the conversation, you have these studies. And if you take yep. it, it's wow, it's, 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 this, it's this massive effect. It's very pronounced. I can't drive very well. I can't operate equipment. I'm locked to the couch. But then when you have somebody who's on medical, maybe they've been doing it for a long time. And so maybe they have a completely different aspect of it. But how do you base any kind of rules or regulations Around that. It's right. very hard, right? Well, I, I think it also – what was the one-word answer that I give what I think it comes back to? What money? Is, it comes back to money. Yeah, tickets. It comes, it, no, seriously. <laughs> yeah, it comes right. back to tickets. It comes back to enforcing the, yeah, the yeah. prison industrial complex. Oh. Uh, it, it, it comes back to enforcing – all right, well, we won't put this on your record if you go to uh, anti-marijuana school – uh, but it's only going to cost you three hundred dollars. I don't know if there is any anti-marijuana school. But no, well, there is. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm just saying. I That's mean, actually so. There's a statistic out there that shows an increase in addiction rate, and it's not actually that marijuana is necessarily uh, extremely addictive. It's that if you say, well, "I don't want jail. I want marijuana reform school," they say, "Okay, you're ad- okay, Mr. Nunes. You are an addict," and they send you in there. Yeah. So there is. Yeah, yeah. there's a school. Yeah. So <clears throat> I think that's what it comes back to is like, well, all right, well, we can't have people smoking pot. And not have a potential to cash in on this double time, uh, so they're already going to buy it from our shops. Let's uh, make some sort of law going against it. I mean, there's yeah. no, yeah. I mean, there's no anti-smoking law, right? In the cars, right? I mean, like, well, you can smoke and drive, and you can. Smoke well, it's not the same kind of. Uh, I know. Yeah, but I'm just saying. I think it's more equivalent to drinking. Really, I think you know you can kind of just model after the drinking laws. Yeah, but the only difference is, you know, how long does it take for alcohol to get out of your system? A couple, well, I think of what, like one drink, one hour? Is that yeah, something like yeah. that. I don't know. How long does yeah, it take marijuana to get out of your It's going to vary a lot. For me, 25 minutes. Really? 
Well, I thought it's in your blood for like 30 days or something. Yeah, so your uh, the THC molecules will go into the fat cells in your body, but that doesn't provide any kind of neurological effect. The neurological effect will wear off. But what I'm saying is when they go in tests, let's say you got pulled over from, from the local law enforcement. Oh, yeah. No, I'd be. It's yeah, going to be yeah. in your system for a yeah, long oh, yeah, period of yeah, time, yeah, even totally. if you hadn't smoked it right. in a month. Yeah, yeah. And, that, yeah. and that's, that's where we're getting on very tricky right. ground with, here. Right, and in, in terms of testing for yeah. booze, yeah, it's out of your system for like the yeah, next morning, I mean, they, right? they, I mean, they can do a roadside <clears throat> test. They'll know it instantly with a, with a breathalyzer, mm-hmm. done. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, with you, they have to take blood. Right. They can't do it by breath. Right. And then... Which means I have to go probably... Oh, well, no, they're working on roadside stuff. But actually, the, they already have roadside stuff. Oh, yeah? Basically, uh, local law enforcement has to go to this uh, course and once they oh, go to okay. this course, they have... They can prick you? They can prick you. <laughs> Great. <laughs> good. Yeah. yeah. Well, I tell you, feel good? here's the test. Uh, yeah. If the car is burning on the side of the road and I've killed about a dozen people, then you know it was alcohol. <laughs> uh, if I'm pulled over on the side of the road and replacing a flat tire, then and, you know it was weed. And you're eating Funyuns. Right. <laughs> and you just Funyuns all over Dude, the Dude, I want some Funyuns. Uh, so uh, one, one thing the documentary did touch on, which I think was a, uh, a fair look at... Uh, um, uh, they, uh, I think they talked about a fair look at the effects on perhaps the developing brain. Gruber's brain scans show that the white matter, those are the highways that help the brain communicate from one point to another, are impaired in those who start smoking early. Maybe there's underlying white matter connectivity differences. That, that's, your, that's your concern, it sounds like, that the, those highways, those white matter highways are just more disrupted in people who start smoking early. That's, that's what we see. Perhaps not surprising, given what we know about the young developing brain. That's a very delicate time in brain development, and that's not a good time to be taking any drugs. Preliminary research shows that early onset smokers are slower at tasks, have lower IQs later in life, higher risk of strokes, and increased incidence of psychotic disorders. And while these studies are not conclusive, some scientists are still concerned. I think that's a fair look at the potential downside there. And you know what? It also rings true to me because I think uh, one of the things that uh, one of the things one of the things about anything about sugar, or actually more so about sugar than people give enough attention to, but alcohol, uh, uh, pharmaceuticals, is you do have to exercise a form of self constraint, and you have to be honest with yourself with anything. Yeah, with, yeah, with anything. And children don't necessarily have the skill set to do that all the time, but. But uh, the point is still taken too that you don't know at what state if you're if you're if you're doing something that influences the brain and the brain's still in development you have to consider the long term effects of that. So I think that's a, I think that's a caution that should be well heated and perhaps further research will continue. Uh, but I also thought they touched on the topic of addiction, which they were very, very fair on the fact that it's pretty much been way over exaggerated. But there is sort of one part that while it's not like a heroin withdrawal, it's a bit of a bummer. Yeah. When you smoke pot, the feel good chemicals that make up marijuana called cannabinoids. Remember them? They cause your brain to stop producing its own natural cannabinoids. When you stop smoking, you have no feel-good cannabinoids of your own. Until your body kickstarts production, you feel lousy. So many people smoke again to feel better. And this, so you think about it, so the... Oh, that's addiction! Right, and this is actually, by the way, also an interesting aspect to marijuana, uh, to cannabis, is that your brain produces at a low level what the cannabis plant contains, okay? So what actually happens is because you smoke, you end up having too much of that in your brain, and your brain, being the ultimate natural balancer, yep. just sort of shuts down production on its own. And, you know, this is 
this is going to affect everybody differently. Some people will wake up and they can be, they can go, you know, they can go just, they'll, they're fine. Some people are like, oh my God, I got to have a smoke. That's how, how, that's how everything's going to be. But the other thing they don't touch on the documentary, but I think is also worth pointing out for people who don't really know is that cannabis can also affect your brain's production of melatonin. And melatonin is the chemical your brain releases to help, among other things, regulate sleep. And so when you stop smoking, if you're a uh, a regular smoker, you can also have trouble sleeping. I was, I was, I thought it was interesting that they touched on the uh, that element, but not the sort of other element of the, sort of those. That's the major addiction aspects right. of cannabis. But overall, I was kind of blown away by a fairly positive documentary. What do you think the fallout's going to be after this, though? I mean, is this going to be one of those? All right, it's a great story. Oh wait, t- oh, oh wait. T- I mean, so they kind of been laying the groundwork. I mean, Gupta went on every single CNN show. To promote this. Our opening clip was from Anderson Cooper, but he was on Morgan. We played clips from that. He was on other shows. Wait, I got, I got it. What is it? Light bulb just went out. Okay, tell me. Wait, hold on. Uh, that uh, that light bulb right there. So here's, here's what's going to happen, Chris. Okay. The government is going to legalize marijuana by the end of the year. The federal government. No, you're crazy. As a distraction <laughs> from all the NSA stuff. Well, it is interesting um, that at the same time, this might be a distraction. That's what I'm saying. We got to be very careful. No, good, no, very astute. Because here's the other thing that happened. Now, I don't know. I think what you, I think what it could be is, I actually think it might all come back to Holder, Eric oh, Holder. Oh, okay. I think this might be about legacy building. Oh. Well, also happening today, U.S. Attorney General Eric Holder announced steps that he plans on taking to curb minimum sentencing laws when it comes to minor drug offenses. He said in a meeting with the American Bar Association in San Francisco, he presented a new policy to reserve the most severe sentencing penalties for serious, high-level, or violent drug traffickers. His reasoning is straightforward. The U.S. is wasting resources to imprison nonviolent people. Because they oftentimes generate unfairly long sentences, they breed disrespect for the system. He's talking about minimum terms. So this is like you have a hundred hot, you have a hundred uh, pot plants. Then uh, bam, minimum five years in federal prison. You <laughs> you got to serve it. Then right. Yeah. Doesn't matter if. You're great if you're the community leader, if you've got 15 kids and you're, you know, employing 35 people. It doesn't matter. If you got, if you got X, then you must serve X. He's talking about this. When applied indiscriminately, they do not serve public safety. They, and let's be honest, some of the enforcement priorities that we have set have had a destabilizing effect on particularly, particular communities, largely poor and of color. And applied inappropriately, they are ultimately counterproductive. And you know what? Statistics support that claim. After all, incarceration costs in the U.S. were a staggering $80 billion in 2010 alone. And the federal prison population has grown by about 800 percent since 1980, forcing federal prisons to operate at nearly 40 percent above capacity. Here's an outline of the smart on crime plan that Holder actually presented today. So it's got a tag name. What do you think? <laughs> smart on crime. We've got smart grid. you got smart phones. Pretty soon we're going to have smart data. Wait, well, whatever happened to war on drugs? That, that worked out so well. No, so. no, I like this. This is good. Oh, boy. Instead of mandatory minimum headache. sentences, it allows judges to decide sentence length based on the crime. Here's how. Instead of listing the exact types of drugs or the quantities collected when the offender was arrested, Holder has arrested? new instructions for federal prosecutors <laughs> on how to write criminal complaints. White. 
Oh, man. What is wrong with her? Well, this is Russia today. Oh. Yeah. When charging low-level drug offenders, the plan will also allow for the possibility of early parole for nonviolent elderly prisoners who have served a significant portion of their sentences. But again, it needs to be stated, this plan does not work to repeal or to rewrite minimum sentencing laws currently on the books. So this is the, this is the big point. So here we go. United States, 20, uh, 25% of the world's uh, imprisoned population. We're five percent of the world population we have 25 percent of the jailed population of the world now here's what holder's doing he is saying all right as you're uh, as you're writing out your papers about that bust you did yeah just don't put down how many plants you saw he's not changing any laws he's just changing guidelines saying just let's not let's not count that so then we don't have to follow those rules oh jeez. this is his smart plan I think what it is is this is what the Obama administration is famous for is a lot of like like going after the banks uh-huh. for the finance and then nothing happens right, right? Yeah. And, then, and then it's historic reforms right right but that's nothing what, happens that's what we have here this is what this is and and well, I think wasn't it Obama who said that he would he would cease the the prosecution of people who use miracle uh, yes yeah. it was yes and then what happened uh huh yeah well we've had record crackdowns now so <laughs> I think you've got I think I think CNN and the Obama administration and and by extension Holder because. I mean, let's be honest. Uh, I think they are kind of working to sort of set. It's a multifaceted approach, right? You've got your PR campaign on CNN. You got Holder out there doing his legacy building, and they need the two to meet in the middle, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I, while I'm glad Gupta's out there changing his tune, I think probably CNN lost their pharma contracts yeah. because their advertising's in the in the dumps. Yeah. They got their well, the buddy, ratings buddy. are the ratings are low. And Gupta's always been always has always towed the line of the Obama administration. So it's not all that odd that maybe if they're making this efforts here that he's t- changing his tone. But you're putting a nice bow on this. But it's not all roses. Oh no. Washington, our home state, about to legalize. Well, we are legal now, yeah. but we don't have storefronts. Uh looks like that might be delayed a little bit, Chase. Oh, yeah. We're waiting for legal pot, we'll have to wait a little longer. Yeah. The state liquor control board says it needs more time to figure out the rules. In the meantime, many cities are adopting moratoriums and bans on future pot stores, opening up the potential for confusion and lawsuits. CR Douglas is here to explain. Yeah. No one said that the move to legalize pot was going to be a smooth road. It turns out now that the Liquor Control Board was trying to do too much too quickly, which is why members, in effect, asked for an extension. Bad news comes on the same day that the Puyallup City Council is expected to be the latest to vote for a temporary moratorium on any new pot stores and any new pot grows. Those leaders want more time to figure out how last year's initiative is going to work in their city. What, they still don't I-502 know? I-502 and state rules are broad. We're going to look at more the specific implementation of We're a bureaucracy, and we need to justify our existence. That at the local level. And the moratorium allows us to, gives us some time to do that. Gives wait, us time to wait, charge more right, money. Chris, 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 when was this law passed? Uh, uh, it, to, at the 2012 election. What year is it? It is 2013. Okay, so how long has it been? It's, it's, by the, it almost has been a year, almost. Yeah, I know. What I'm trying to say here is this is your government at work, I people. Know, if they can't figure out which at end is up... At the city level. At the city, city level. If they can't figure out which end is up in a year... I know. There's a problem. And, by the way, like they had time to look at this before it even became law. Now, to, to, <laughs> to, to, to the city's credit, why would you want to delegate resources to a law that could have been passed that hap- you know, laws... Yeah, get- yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, fine. Yeah, I give okay, them that. Right, okay, fine. But, come on. Like, and also, I mean, they're going to make money. 
Let's be honest. Yeah. So I don't know. You think they'd be on that to capitalize? But like, if they don't want to have it, fine. Um, You know whatever. Deputy City Attorney Steve Kirkley says he expects Puyallup to eventually allow pot sales once the council adopts its own local rules. I.e., we're going to watch what other people do, see what they get right and what they get wrong. Legal because what I like to know is okay. How can we vote for something and then just have bureaucrats that we didn't elect hold it up? Right. And but not only that, I mean, this is state law now, right? Right. So it's like saying, all right, well, it, yeah, you can buy, you can smoke marijuana personally, but you can't buy. Well, all right, fine, you can drink soda, but not in our city. Yeah, you can buy it somewhere else, right? But you can't buy it here, or you you can't get. That would never fly. You can't get unleaded gasoline in our city. That would never fly. One of the concerns is that someone could come in, have a state business license, and say, I want to have a retail uh, marijuana shop in a, in a residential zone. And once it's established, it's hard then to go back and say, oh, by the way, you can no longer do that. That's an uphill battle. Uh, I can, I can answer that in one minute. That. Or ten, five seconds. No. <laughs> okay. I mean, you don't need, uh, what if somebody establishes a uh, marijuana business in a residential zone? Well, uh, it's a residential zone. Right. You can't establish most businesses in residential right. zones. That's probably already established. That's usually already yeah. rules. Yeah. That's a bad argument. That that's, is a stupid argument. That's what he came up with during an interview on the TV, Jay. That is <laughs> I should be the public spokesperson. I could be like, no. You can't I mean Dude, you should get yourself some of that weed money. Oh, I've been saying it's the industry to get into. It's better than bitcoins, boy. Uh, yeah, I know. We want I it like to games. be an orderly process. A growing number of cities and counties are enacting temporary pot restrictions, including Pierce County and the cities of Olympia, Sammamish, and Kelso, at least one <laughs> Richland. Kelso? I know. It's totally Wait, irrelevant. Ke- like Kelso, I'm sorry if you listen to our show. They don't know. No, no one knows about our show no. in Kelso. No. But if you Nobody f- knows what Kelso is. Yeah, Kelso is a small city when you're driving down I-5. You might miss it if you blink. And, and no one knows it's there because yeah, yeah. Longview knows it's there. And that's yeah. the only reason, like, oh, Kelso? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. Now, you know Q13's reaching. Has adopted an outright ban. Leaders of last year's POT initiative worry about local communities going too far. A moratorium that it's too long does, in effect, become a temporary ban. And that does create problems because um, people need to be able to get their licenses and get their businesses started. Allison Holcomb says it's appropriate for local jurisdictions to take time to enact some restrictions but not prevent these businesses altogether. I'd like for city councils to be looking at the fact that this is what the voters of the state passed. This is what the state law provides for. Let's not go into court and have a battle about this. Let's let this roll out the way that it was meant to be rolled out. The Liquor Control Board now expects to start issuing licenses for stores and for grows at the beginning of next year instead of the end of this year. The delay probably comes as a surprise to most people why couldn't they get it done now why do you suppose what's your guess why they had to delay the opening of the stores to now they say early next year so what's that mean june (laughs) (laughs) early next yeah uh because they couldn't figure out how much to charge the permits and or uh because they couldn't figure out what to do with the miracle marijuana situation okay all right good guess uh, but no. Well, it's because they grossly underestimated just how much pot people in Washington smoke and otherwise use. <laughs> it turns out it's twice as much what? as they originally thought based on recent surveys. Wait, so, so doesn't that, that mean twice they're as much have to money? Rethink how yeah. many stores they need, how much inventory those stores should hold. How- and let's be honest. This was a survey where the government said, come to us and admit that you smoke pot. Do you do it? And, uh, and, and then twice as many people they expected said yes. But if they sent me that survey, I would have said no. I don't, I don't know where that survey's going. I don't want that put in some sort of database as a PDF that's searchable. What I want to do is I want to go to Walmart 
and I want to go to Costco, yeah. and I want to buy my pot in bulk. <laughs> Maybe Costco will sue for that. How big these outdoor grows are going to be. So this sort of doubling of the number, and here are the numbers. They thought it was 85 metric tons Whoa. of pot used every year. It's 165 metric tons. So that's causing them to really go back to the drawing board. It seems like they would have known that going into it. You would think so. I think I think it's bad timing. They did this survey, but the survey's results didn't come out until just a couple weeks ago. So they were already well down this rulemaking road before they sort of learned this new information. Mm-hmm. So in oh. retrospect, they would have done the survey much earlier. It's All right, almost like the survey was intentionally scheduled to throw the timing off. Oh, isn't that interesting? It's almost like that's how government operates. It's almost like having a pool when you're trying to lead the the answer to your question. Isn't that, though, interesting that they underestimated? I just, I found that funny. Uh, So while the the national conversation on cannabis seems to be improving, as CNN would have us believe. This uh, is CNN. In one of the first states to go full-on recreational legalization, we're at least hitting some speed bumps. Yeah, but what's happening in Colorado? That's what I want to know. They're moving right along. Then what's the problem? Well, I mean, you know, it's... It's Washington. Yeah, yeah right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, before we wrap up today, I wanted to follow up on uh, Michael Hastings. We've covered the story on and off, sometimes in the main show, sometimes in the supporters show. And uh, now we have an idea <laughs> of... Who he was writing a story about when he met his untimely demise. Okay. The past couple of months, investigative journalist Kim Dvorak has been looking into the death of journalist Michael Hastings in Los Angeles. This morning, she has some new information into what Hastings was working on just before he died in a fiery car explosion. Now, of note, the Hastings article is set to come out posthumously in a couple of weeks, we have learned. Good morning, Kim. Nice to see you this morning. So he, this article is going to come out, we understand, in a couple of weeks, and it's going to yeah. be specifically about... Mr. Brennan, is that correct? Correct. Yes, it is. Okay. Yeah. And, um, uh, yeah, that would be the director of the CIA. A yeah. few weeks ago, some sources um, that I've been working with on this story and others gave me an email um, that surfaced through WikiLeaks. And that, of course, was an illegal hack. So we want to state that <laughs> up front that, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people on one side. I like when you forward somebody an email to WikiLeaks that's now classified as an illegal hack. That I know. She doesn't know. She's trying to. This is local TV. Yeah. I will say that this is this could be altered or whatnot, but it did spark a response from the actual um, CIA um, this week as well. Okay, so here's the emails. Now this is um, from actually from Hastings' colleague, correct? You got this from um, one of his coworkers. Yes, at uh, Project. And explain who Mr. Burton is, please. Mr. Burton is the now president of Stratfor, which is a major defense contractor for the U.S. government. So I want to underscore this. This is an email from Fred Burton, the president of the CIA contractor Stratford that did have a leak recently themselves, who is essentially a privatized intelligence agency. This is an email from the CEO of Stratford. Okay, and here is the email that says Brennan is behind the witch hunts of investigative journalists learning information from inside the Beltway sources. And it goes on to say, note there is specific tasker from the uh, White House to go after anyone printing materials negative to the Obama agenda. And this is from a gentleman, um, you say, that has defense contracts in Washington? Yes, indeed he does. Yeah, yeah, has the defense contracts in Washington. Uh, So the text of the email was posted by WikiLeaks. It's also on the San Diego Six News website, and it is, uh, it is, it is, it essentially it it is the CEO of Stratford saying that Obama, the Obama administration has via has a person who is tasked with 
find it, figuring out who they don't like and then coordinates it with the CIA and that Brennan himself at the CIA was heading it up. And that's what Hastings was doing. That's what he was investigating when he died. What's even more interesting is they've now had these. So they've they've been petitioning, petitioning and petitioning and they've gotten the Los Angeles police to release surveillance footage of Hastings car driving. And now they've had the footage analyzed. And it turns out his you know how what was what's one of the main things we know about the car crash? He lost control and he hit a pole. Right. He was going super fast. Right. He hit yep. like a tree. He was going and the, and the engine went like just flew down. Right. Because right? he was he was out of control. He was going so fast. Yeah. Well, turns out not going so fast. The other piece of new information we have is when we saw the um, surveillance video last week, the black and white, um, there was a, um, a, a little bit of question as to how fast the car may have been traveling. We spoke with a San Diego State uh, professor here, and he stated that it's his belief that when you do the calculation of time and distance, the car was traveling roughly 34, 35 miles he was per doing hour the speed when limit. it hit the tree, so okay. much slower than we thought. And also, uh, they go on to say, and I'm not sure if I, uh, I don't know if I have those uh, clips. I'm no expert, yeah. but I don't believe a 35-mile-per-hour crash into a tree, which would be 70 if, I, I, my physics might be off, but I don't think that would cause that kind of an explosion. Yeah, they go on to say in a different uh, interview that's uh, I'll have linked in the show notes, um, that uh, there's also, there's an explosion in the car that you can kind of observe uh, there's what they're calling right now a pre-explosion before he hits the tree, and all of the lights in the car go out right before he hits the tree. Isn't that? I mean, that's maybe. not conspiracy bacon, you guys. That's fact. But now his wife has come out. It's funny because she was initially like, "This was murder," right? His wife was like, kind of one of the people that got everybody kind of like thinking maybe there was something up. Right now she's come out. She went on CNN and said, ah, "You know, gosh, you know, Mike, he just worked on a lot of stories, so I don't know if I had." I don't know if I'd take that much into much consideration. And by the way, I'm going to finish that story for him, and I'm going to have Rolling Stone run it. Wow. And I think, I think, I don't know. I mean, I think that's just a little weird, that about face. Maybe it's nothing. So it's it's really hard to see what's going on. It's really Honestly, hard to we'll see what happens when the story does come out, because we'll see how much the government had got involved in that story, you think. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I honestly, I mean, we'll... Maybe the story will have big redacted lines. <laughs> no, no, it won't be redacted. It'd just be black. It'd just be black. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, anyways, Jason, uh, we'll have links to the YouTube uh, video uh, f- on the. Uh, uh, they also have text from the nine eleven calls uh, that night from the. Uh, I think about seven people that called in. But Chase, I thought maybe before we get out of here, we'd uh, read an email. What yes, do you think? Uh, remember you can email the show and, and Chris. What's that awesome email address? Oh, that would be unfilter at jupiterbroadcasting dot com, or you just hit that contact link at the top of our show and choose unfilter from it's the drop. It's always great to do that. And uh, our email comes in today from Sean. He titled the email. Prepare for a visit with the TSA. Yesterday, I walked into Dallas Love Airport for my flight to St. Louis. I traveled alone with no baggage to visit family. I arrived at Love Field at 6 a.m. and the line was short, but the wait was long. When I got to the front of the line, I placed my laptop in a bin alone and took my phone and shoes in another. I walked through the full body scanner, have my picture taken, and then I get pulled to the side and questioned because I did not raise my arm enough. Oh. Mind you, I haven't received my laptop yet. Okay. I pass security after five minutes of questions, and I'm on my way to St. Louis. When I get to the family's house, I take my laptop out of my bag and notice my SD card is not placed fully into the port. I also notice my Western Digital external drive is not where I left it, but on the other side. Hmm. I boot up my computer suspiciously, and what do you know? The SD card was the last mounted while I was in line 
So my external, but not the laptop's dedicated drive. So basically he saw in the settings which was mounted last. They obviously had scanned my data and were after anything to call me a terrorist. Hmm. So as mentioned in a previous show, the airport security is checking your personal data for anything that they can find. I just had to share with the unfiltered crowd and to you so you can better be prepared for our surveillance state in every aspect of our lives. Now, one thing I would I would be very careful here because, Sean, the only, the only authority that they have to search your belongings is if you are crossing an international border. Uh, and I don't believe St. Louis is in another country. Yeah, but we had a story that they were potentially searching like uh, valid cars, right? Yeah, but I, I don't think what what he explained here. I don't think is so like legal. when the TSA is scanning him, they're not allowed to like take out the SD card. No, and check I, no, no. Yeah, I wouldn't and, think and so. so. So if he honestly thought that occurred, he should a file a complaint. Yeah. Immediately. Yeah. Um, he should. Yeah. I uh, now if you're if you're traveling now like if I'm traveling from Canada to to the states, they can. Search my belongings. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. And, I mean, you're crossing an international border, yeah. but they can sniff your people. But, but this guy, uh, I, I would say this, Sean. Not that I'm saying I don't believe that they searched your 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 items, but I would definitely file a complaint because what what you're explaining here, honestly, is they shouldn't they shouldn't be doing. Sounds like some serious shenanigans. Yeah, I would definitely <clears throat> look into that. Uh, also, uh, by popular demand, and it has been very popular. And I can't imagine why, actually. Well, Just well, what to, you, what it's odd, about, Chase, but uh, we have a BitMessage address in the show notes. So if you guys go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com, look for episodes, well, basically all of the last episodes, but this one in particular was 63. Yeah. And uh, click on the show. You'll find uh, in there our BitMessage, and then you can uh, send us an address, or you can send us a thingy there. Yeah. And we love hearing from you guys. Yes, that's right. You can also call us. You can call us at 1425 1756 and uh, leave Skype us a voice works now. too Unfilter Show. You can just add that name to your Skype. It's free from anywhere in the world. Anywhere in the world, Chase? Anywhere in the world, but you got to have anywhere Skype in the to world. Do that. In the world. In the world. Right now. Right now, we're going to take a look at the Unfilter subreddit. And, yeah. And Chris, open up the Red Book because I'd like to know. It's an awesome, by the way, lots of great links. Oh, in the man, subreddit. you guys are awesome. Tons of good stuff that didn't make it's in the going, show this week. It's going week. great. It's yeah. going great right now. Yeah, in fact, uh, we had. I was going in there. I was reading it late last night. I had a. I had a good old time. All right, Chase. What's your question? What was our goal? What was our goal from last week? All right, I'm looking it up. Uh, six forty six, Chase. You wanted to get to six forty six according to the red. We book. destroyed that. What? Six seven one. Give me a new goal. New goal. Well, all right. Do I have to think big? Because we've been we've been really destroying my predictions. Try it. Seven hundred. All right. So I'm, go over I'm, to unfilter.reddit.com and become a contributor 700. over there. 700. Now, this is going to be tough. 700. That's if we can do it by 29. next week. Now, Chris, during the week, you have com slash Chris LAS. You beat me. You know what I want. 140 characters or less. Wisdom, etc. What about you, Chase? People can also follow me on Twitter, at Nunes, N-U-N-E-S. But really, I have a one-stop shop for everything. Damn, Chase. ChaseNunes.com. Go figure that one out. Very nice. Well, don't forget, if you're an Unfilter supporter, go check your damn inbox. Hell of a supporter show this week. Yes. We might even have some more goodies later on. Really? Uh, maybe. I don't know. It depends if we get crazy. I guess. Yeah. Fair enough. And uh, don't forget, we're live on Wednesdays over at jblive.tv. Check jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. You want to be around next week because the following week, we're going to be taking some right. time off. So right. if you ever wanted to catch a live show, soak next, it up while you can. next week yeah. is the time to do it. Go double deep. Get in there. <laughs> like a, and smoke them if you got them. <laughs> double deep. Huh? I don't know. All right. I, double Ds. I oh, like double yeah. All right, everyone. Well, thanks so much for tuning in this week's episode of Unfiltered. We'll see you right back here next, next week. week.